From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony Perkins today. So glad that you are with us on this significant Friday afternoon. I want to remind you that you can find the show at TonyPerkins.com. If you miss any of the segments or want to watch them again, today on the program, big news in the case of Baronel Stutzman, who's the florist in Washington State, who's been in a decades-long legal battle, decade-long legal battle, over her decision not to decorate for a same-sex wedding. There is big news. We'll talk about that with her lawyer today in the program. In addition, the Republican National Committee has created a pride coalition to do outreach to the LGBT community. But the Republican Party in Texas is leading a national pushback from the grassroots of the Republican Party. We'll talk to them about why. Later in the program, according to a George Barna poll, 39% of 18 to 24-year-olds identify as LGBT. Why is that? What does that mean? We'll talk about that as part of our worldview conversation with David Clausen at the end of the program. But first, the headlines for today. Earlier today, the House of Representatives passed the Build Back Better bill, or as Tony likes to call it, the Build Government Bigger bill. It was passed largely along partisan lines, 220 to 213, with one lone Democrat voting with all Republicans against the bill. The price tag of this wish list, one $0.9 trillion with a T. Americans have largely balked at the giant bill, so will the Senate be listening to the people when it's time for them to vote on it? Congresswoman Vicki Hartzler joins me now to discuss the latest in this government spending. Congresswoman, welcome back to the program. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to see you again. What was your reaction to this bill passing the House today? Oh, it is heartbreaking. It, there. There are so many bad things in this bill, and we have got to uh, get this stopped over in the Senate because it is going to only fuel inflation, and it establishes 150 new government socialist programs uh, that are going to be bad for this country. It's, it spends $80 billion to hire 87,000 new IRS agents to go after our bank accounts. It uh, has no hide protection, so it's going to use our taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions. And it props up the wealthy and the privileged, giving $12,500 tax credits for electric cars. Uh, similar, uh, similarly, it gives tax credits for even electric bicycles. And I like to call it the Build Back Beijing Bill because it's going to further help China because it has so many provisions in here to go to uh, solar energy. And it, there are provisions in here um, that were removed that said you cannot buy and use any of this money uh, from forced labor. And yet Nancy Pelosi took that out before the final version. And the reason why is because uh, the Xinjiang province, where the Uyghur Muslims are in concentration camp, produces 80% of the polysilicon, which is used in the solar panels, and 50% of China's polysilicon comes from the Xinjiang province. And so they would rather prop up the Green uh, New Deal rather than to stand by uh, people, humans, who are being in labor camps. And it also requires... <clears throat> 
that our post offices uh, replace their vehicles with electric vehicles and 50% of the electric vehicles are produced in China. And so there are many provisions in here that are gonna prop up China. It's gonna fuel inflation though for Americans. So it's good for China, bad for Americans and it's got to be stopped in the Senate. That is an alarming piece of information that you just shared there about the Xinjiang province specifically. And essentially, you're saying that Americans have a choice here whether to uh, essentially support forced labor and human rights abuses in China because they are a provider of all of the green technology or um, choose human rights over green technology. And you're saying right now this bill uh, neglects human rights in favor of essentially the green industry. Is that correct? Yes, yes, it does. And it shows that, that the Democrats care more about uh, their Green New Deal programs and their supporters than they do about humans in this world who are in concentration camps. And I've introduced a bill called SOS Act, Stop Oppressive Sterilizations Act, because as we know, and Secretary Mike Pompeo declared uh, last December, that the Chinese are committing genocide in the Xinjiang province with the Uyghur Muslims forcing them to have abortions and forcing them to be sterilized. And so their population numbers are dramatically going down. And after uh, 20, 30, 40 years, there's not going to be many Uyghur Muslims left. That is genocide. And yet Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats don't care about that. And they want to incentivize the purchasing of solar panels from this part of the world. Well, in all of public policy, there are trade-offs, but it is disturbing uh, when we see that the priorities of the country could be uh, prioritizing solar panels over the actual human rights of real people. Now, Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, gave an eight-and-a-half-hour speech in, in, in uh, response to this, in critique of this, before it was voted on in final passage. I have a number of clips that I want to play for you. First, I want to play his summary of this bill. It's clip number one, and then see if you agree with his analysis. Every page of this new Washington spending shows just how irresponsible and out of touch the Democrats are to the challenges that America faces today. Nowhere in 2,000 pages and $5 trillion in spending are measures for more efficiency, better results, or just genuine accountability. This is the single most reckless and irresponsible spending bill in our nation's history. Congresswoman Hartzler, is that a fair assessment in your opinion? Oh, it is. You get to looking at this bill, like I said, 150 new programs. And whether it is uh, the new program for child education and, and preschool, universal preschool, uh, or whether it's some more uh, setting up the Civilian Climate Corps to create a workforce of young people who are going to go out and do environmental justice programs in our neighborhood, or new increased benefits for housing, they don't have uh, the specifics with each one of these bills. And each one of these should be a standalone piece of legislation that we debate, that we discuss, that amendments are offered on. Each one of these is a massive new federal program. And yet they just have very general guidelines and billions of dollars attached to them that the details are going to be written by the liberal bureaucrats in Washington. And so it's very, very disturbing. Uh, how you pass these massive bills. 
There is an amnesty program in here that's estimated going to provide amnesty between 8 and 11, 11 million illegal immigrants. There aren't the fleshed out details. We never got to debate it and offer amendments and improve it or, or remove different sections. Uh, none of these things were on their own debated or discussed. There's just kind of a, a shell of there's their wish list, their Christmas wish list of what every socialist program they've ever wanted. And they put in this 2000 page bill. And I said, the details are gonna be written by the uh, bureaucrats, not by the representatives of the people. And that is very, very concerning. There's one other component of this bill that I want you to, to, to respond to and uh, uh, Representative McCarthy raised that in his speech because the bill actually prioritizes preschool and it, it gives universal preschool for three and four year olds. Yet it also explicitly excludes some child care providers. And he talks about this in clip number four. Let's go ahead and play that. Democrat bill includes a constitutionally questionable prohibition on religious affiliated child care providers from receiving funds under the bill. Whoa! Did you know that, Madam Speaker? Congresswoman Hartzler, if, if child care is such an important part of this bill, why are they excluding religious, religiously affiliated child care providers? Well, their number one priority is to put in every statute the... Uh, sexually orientated uh, gender identity language. And any entity that doesn't adhere to that, then they're going to exclude them and say, you cannot receive government funds unless you support that. And so that includes in uh, hiring uh, for daycare centers and preschool. And uh, so faith-based programs, if you have different beliefs on those areas, you're not going to qualify for the program. Is the White House continuing to insist that this is going to cost nothing? Well, I haven't heard the latest quote, but we know that is not true. Certainly, you, we are all going to pay for this. And even the Tax Foundation has said that the promise that Biden made that nobody under 400000 is going to see their taxes increase is a joke. First of all, it has taxes in here for natural gas, which 50% of Americans heat their home with natural gas as a methane tax. So you're going to be paying uh, higher energy costs through this, if you, no matter what your income is. And we know it's going to further fuel inflation, and that's going to hit our low income and our, our working families the hardest, who already have seen record amounts of inflation uh, for the past 40 years at the grocery store and at the gas pump. And this is only going to be uh, worse by throwing another $2 trillion into the economy. Now, you mentioned the Hyde Amendment earlier and the fact that it is not included in the bill that the House passed, which means taxpayer dollars would be used to fund abortion. As Senator Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia in the Senate, has said he will not support this bill if there is no Hyde, Hyde Amendment language included in it. Do you think that means this bill is not going to pass the Senate? I hope so. I hope it's dead on arrival. I uh, applaud Senator Manchin for his pro-life stance, and I hope he will stick to it. I know he'll have lots of pressure to accept it and to look the other way, but life is non-negotiable, and paying taxpayer dollars for abortions through Medicaid is not even accepted 
by most Americans, even who are pro-choice. They say, okay, I may be personally pro-choice, but I don't want other people's tax dollars or my tax dollars going to pay for it. And yet that is what is in this bill. So I'm hopeful that Senator Manchin will hold firm and will say no, and that this bill will die in the Senate. Congresswoman Hertzler, we got about one minute to deal with a whole other issue. The National Defense Authorization Act, you've expressed concerns because it would draft women. What's the latest on that? Well, we're going to go to conference with that, the House version and the Senate version, and I'm hopeful that we could come to some sort of a a better resolution here. I don't think we need to be drafting our women, and in fact, I don't think we need a a draft anymore at all. It's only been used 35 out of our 245-year history. So I've introduced legislation I'm going to be proposing in conference committee that we either do away with the draft completely and just continue on with our all-volunteer professional force from both men and women currently serve and is doing a wonderful job, or another version just kind of puts it on ice and keeps it in in case in the future you wanted to uh, start it up again. But we're wasting $26 million a year now on a system that is not used and sent to an empty office in Washington. So I think that $26 million is better spent on uh, helping our professional force have the tools they need to meet any threat. Congresswoman Vicki Hartzell, we really appreciate you spending some time with us again today. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up after the break, a 10-year legal battle for Baronel Stutzman, the Washington State florist, who declined to separate to decorate for a same-sex wedding. That legal battle has come to an end. We'll talk about the details and what it means for her, as well as what it means for religious freedom broadly. We'll talk to her lawyer when we come back right after the break. Stay with us here on Washington Watch. For centuries, the Bible has inspired humanity and shaped the very world we live in. But how do we know this book is the word of God and not merely the words of men. What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks explores the evidence of the Bible's inspiration and authority through some of the world's most respected biblical scholars. We have essentially a dual authorship. So it's true to say that Paul wrote Romans. It's equally true to say that God wrote Romans. He says, we saw this, and that sets the Bible apart from almost everything else in the ancient world and its religious pantheon of gods and goddesses. The God Who Speaks is a feature-length documentary from the American Family Association, available now at thegodwhospeaks.org. Here's a moment of Hope for Your Home with Jerry and Becky Drace. Those tangles are a mess. Ouch. I heard our granddaughter Hannah yell as Becky one day was combing her hair. You know, got me to thinking, life can be a tangled mess sometimes too. Not enough money and too much month. Hungry mouths, but not enough food. Threats of violence, gunshots in the night, loss of jobs and income. It can really get messy sometimes, and it may even seem like there is no way through it. Listen to Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
It seems almost too simple, but it is true. If we just follow the light of God and keep in mind that His rod and staff are before us, then we can move through the tangles of life with strength and confidence. Hair detangler or conditioner will smooth those hair tangles before the tangled snarls of life we face. It takes the brush and comb of God's Word. Learn more at hopeforthehome.org. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. It gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us, and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us, and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community, and this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same-sex attracted couple contact us, and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what, and they said, please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony. So glad that you are with us today. Yesterday, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom announced some news marking the end of a nearly decade-long legal battle. The case, Arlene's Flowers versus the state of Washington, and their client, my friend, Baronel Stutzman of Arlene's Flowers, has become a religious freedom icon, much like fellow ADF client Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop. Now, two Americans who are unafraid to stand for what is right. And here to share the news is Baronel's attorney, Kristen Wagner, who is Alliance Defending Freedom's general counsel. Kristen, welcome back to the show. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Well, we are glad to have you. What is the news with Baronel's case? We reached a settlement yesterday that puts an end to the lengthy court case that's lasted nearly nine years now. But I do want to make it very clear that it is not a surrender or a change in Baronel's beliefs or convictions, and that she's laid the groundwork to ensure that the U.S. Supreme Court will affirm the principles for which she has fought for so many years. What were the terms of that settlement, and where does this leave her now? Is she, she has any exposure, or is it completely over for her? It is completely over for her, so there's a great sense of relief. Uh, the ACLU, as well as the state of Washington, didn't just sue Baronel Shop, but they sued her personally. So when we hear about these cases involving creative professionals around the nation, this is the only case where they were actually going after someone to personally ruin them and take their personal assets in addition to their vocation or their business. So Baronel had a lot at stake and it got a lot, it, what she had at stake got even worse in the sense that in July, the United States Supreme Court declined to hear Baronel's case, which was essentially the end of the road for her. But in what we would say was a miraculous uh, decision that came out, the 10th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled on a similar case against the creative professional one day before we could ask the Supreme Court to reconsider Baronel's case. So that's what we did. So we said, based on this 10th Circuit decision, the Supreme Court should reconsider Baronel's case. And that gave us the leverage to be able to settle her case with the ACLU. 
Now, a lot of people, Kristen, who have been following Baronelle's case for years, were looking forward to the day where the Supreme Court would vindicate her and declare definitively that what she did was constitutionally protected uh, on her behalf and on the behalf of all of us. And what would you say to those who uh, have been watching this and haven't seen that happen yet and maybe discouraged and see this as some kind of defeat because she hasn't yet been vindicated by the courts? I would say it is a sad day in the sense that the U.S. Supreme Court and the lower court should have vindicated her freedom in court. But I would suspect that your listeners also believe in justice with the capital J, and they know that God has a plan. And we're thankful that part of that plan ensures that Baronel doesn't have to pay millions of dollars that would essentially ruin her and Daryl. She's 77 years old, and her lifetime savings shouldn't be in jeopardy because she declined one event. And at 77 years old, she was ready to be able to give her business to her employees, and she could do so with confidence that she's never violated her conscience, she never surrendered her beliefs, and this 303 creative case is pending at the U.S. Supreme Court, so she can pass on her legal torch and her fight for freedom to Lori Smith and 303 Creative. So we need to be praying that the court takes that case, and there are other cases that are right behind it, because there are other victims that have been inspired by Baronel to stand and join this fight. Kristen, I think it's a really good point that you make, and, and those watching and listening uh, should understand that she was never forced in the course of this settlement to admit that she did anything wrong because she didn't do anything wrong. And, and she, I don't believe that she ever would uh, say that she did. And so that was not part of this uh, settlement at all. And so she really, and I think the big victory for her and so many other people is that she never had to compromise her convictions, and she was always able to do what she thought was right. And ultimately, I think I, I remain confident that the courts uh, will vindicate her. But if you could say more about the, the cases that you and ADF are continuing to represent uh, that have similar issues that the court may hear, what are those cases? Uh, what other creative professionals are involved? Right now, the Supreme Court is going to be considering whether to take Lori Smith's 303 creative case, which involves the same law that they're using to persecute Jack Phillips. And that law essentially says that if you decline to express messages or create art that uh, violates your conscience, that you can face severe penalties and lose your livelihood. Jack Phillips is now on his third case because the courts have not yet affirmed the right of free speech that he has. We have Lori Smith again that's pending. She's a website designer. Emily Carpenter's in New York. She faces jail time uh, and she's a photographer. We have Chelsea Nelson who's in Kentucky. She's also a photographer. We have Bob Updegrove in Virginia facing one of these, these uh, laws as well. So there are a number of lawsuits that are working through the court system, but 303 Creative is pending at the U.S. Supreme Court right now. And we're very optimistic and hopeful that the court will make this right and take the case and protect all Americans, regardless of what their views on a particular topic. Now, if the court was not willing to take Baronell's case and vindicate her, what makes you optimistic that ultimately they are going to land on the right side of this issue and defend the First Amendment? I think that there are a lot of things that play into whether the court is going to take a particular case. And we can't speculate about what all of those things are, but, but they matter in terms of what season we're in, what other cases are pending, all of those things, how many cases the court has taken that term. In Baronel's specific instance, what we have seen is that the court did not appear quite yet positioned 
to expand free exercise rights, and it would require us to demonstrate that creative uh, expression, free speech is involved in creating custom floral arrangements. And while we believe we can prove that, Lori Smith's case presents a very clear question of whether, not whether speech is involved, but whether the government can compel that speech. So I think it's an easier first step for the United States Supreme Court to affirm this fundamental principle. And then I think it will also resolve the issues regarding Jack's case, photographers, website designers, and Baronel. We're not giving up on Washington State because we can't turn a blind eye to the type of, uh, I would say, tyrannical government that is going on there in terms of how they are stepping on their citizens' constitutional rights. Well, Kristen, we are thankful that Baronelle has carried the torch this long. We are thankful that she's getting relief, but we are also thankful that you and others at the Alliance Defending Freedom continue to fight this fight on our behalf. And thank you also for being with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joseph, for all you do as well. Well, it is an important story, and Baronel is just one of the good ones. She has done this with grace and dignity and humility, despite incredible pressure for about a decade. And may we all follow her in her example, both with grace and with courage. On the other side of the break, the state of Texas pushing back against the GOP's. Making the most of your money. Here's Dan Celia on American Family Radio. According to the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development on Thursday, after the pandemic-induced boom, demand of goods combined with supply chain disruptions from the congestions at ports to the Suez Canal blockage have just crushed freight prices. But the big crushing fear is a couple of things. We've got higher diesel fuel prices. We've got jammed up ports and staying parked off the port for an incredibly long time, driving prices up, costs for the container rentals up dramatically. And it doesn't look like there's going to be any hope for any price decreases or a little bit of break in inflation. Prices continue to surge and are likely going to continue to surge. In the UK, the month of October, prices were up 4.2%. And we were concerned. Consumer prices here in the US up 2.6% on the year, the fastest since 1990. This is not going to slow down, and it's going to continue to go up. It's literally impossible for the supply chain problems not to trickle through to consumers. It has to be passed on, and it's going to continue to be passed on for some time to come. Every day, there's more uncertainty in the political world and more uncertainty in things like the Federal Reserve inflation, higher prices, gasoline, consumption, production of energy, and on and on it will go. Want to hear more financial advice from Dan Celia? Look for his podcast at AFR.net. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm sitting for Tony. So glad that you have joined us today here on Washington Watch. The Democrats are supposed to be the ones falling apart, not the party that just put together an historic upset in an off-year election in Virginia and nearly did so in New Jersey as well. And yet, 
the RNC tries to be seems to be trying to seize defeat from the jaws of victory, despite finding success as the alternative to the sexual revolution. The committee's leadership appears to be making a move to join the sexual revolution by creating an LGBT pride coalition within the national party. And here to discuss the disconcerting new LGBT coalition is Texas Republican Party Chairman Matt Rinaldi. Matt, welcome to Washington Watch. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we're glad to have you. What was your reaction when you first heard that the national RNC had created a pride coalition? I was uh, I was shocked, to say the least. Um, I, I we don't um, we don't gain any voters by starting a pl pride coalition, by adopting the language of the left and by adopting left wing movements and trying to make them our own. Um, I didn't see the purpose behind it. I thought it was counterproductive, especially after the victories in Virginia that were built around a, a rejection of identity politics, that the RNC would embark on an identity, pro uh, identity politics project of their own. Do you agree with the with the suggestion? This has kind of been my impression lately. Social issues has often been a challenge uh, for Republicans and conservatives broadly, but with the extreme nature of the positions that the left is now taking, do you think social issues can be a winner for conservatives? Oh, I think social issues are a winner, and they're the way that we broaden the party um, to uh, Hispanic voters, to African-American voters. Um, I think, uh, obviously, we found in Virginia that voters are concerned about the culture. They're concerned about our children and what they're learning in schools. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's the winning issue for us. In the end, the cultural issues matter to our country more than whether or not our tax rates fluctuate by 1% or 2%. What do you think the risk is from the national GOP embracing a uh, pride coalition? Well, the risk, the, the risk is we are participants in the cultural downfall of our country. Uh, we're adopting a left-wing movement that's been used uh, as, as a metaphorical boot in the face to conservatives, to uh, evangelical Christians, to churches around the country. And by using that language, by adopting that movement and trying to put a conservative twist on it, we're participants in it. Um, and what we need to do is instead form a, our own positive vision for our country. And that's not using identity politics. That's ensuring that people of all backgrounds can come together to, to unite towards the one thing that unifies us. And that's the love of our country and the principles upon which we were founded. Matt, have you spoken to the national GOP and, and gotten a response and an indication of what was motivating this action? Yes, I did. Um, we've, we've had several meetings with different RNC members, um, and I, I'm, I'm not satisfied yet with the response. I think they need to walk it back ultimately. Um, I do not think that we can build a coalition based on pride, which is a left-wing movement. And so far, the explanation has been something to the effect of we apologize for not explaining it enough, enough up front um, as to why we're doing this. We don't need an explanation as to why they're doing this. We need them to stop doing it.
What kind of reaction have you received at the grassroots level there in Texas about the national GOP's position and then your position? I can tell you I've received more emails about this topic than I have on any other topic since I've become chair. And not only more emails, probably a hundred times more emails on this than any other topic. Uh, the grassroots are understandably frustrated. They don't think the national GOP is listening to them. Um, as evidenced by this. Every June, they're hit over the head with corporate messaging on pride, adopting left-wing movements. Um, every, uh, constantly, they're hit over the head with these messages. And now they're being hit over the head with these messages from the one political group that they're supposed to be a part of, that's supposed to protect them, that's supposed to advocate for them. And that's extremely troubling and demoralizing. Have you heard from other state parties that have delivered similar messages to the national party? I don't know if any others of, of any others that have done a public statement like we have, but I do know that other state parties are understandably very upset at this. Uh, they want it walked back. They don't want it explained. Um, and you know, I, I do hope that ultimately that will result in a change of course for the RNC on this issue. Are you optimistic that there will be a change of course, or do you expect this to be a, a long-term debate within the party? I think no matter what happens, it'll be a long-term debate, uh, but I am hopeful that they will change course. I think, uh, I, I think the response has been overwhelming and I do hope they listen to us. Matt Rinaldi, chairman of the Texas Republican Party. Thanks so much for your time today. And thank you as well for your courage on a difficult issue. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. And as everyone recognizes, it is courageous to push back on anything LGBT, even within the Republican Party. And so we are grateful to him for doing so. When we come back, we're going to dig into this issue a bit more because there is polling information. 18 to 24-year-olds, 39% identifying as LGBT. Is that relevant to this conversation within the GOP? And how should we think about this as Christians. That's the conversation we're going to have with David Clausen in our worldview segment when we come back. Stay with us. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side -side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. If you are engaging in sexual sin, today is the day to repent. As it was corrupt in Judah, let's be honest, the same things are happening today. The pornography addiction amongst the body of Christ is through the roof. And by and large, many in the church are not discussing these things 
too often because many of the people who are entrusted with the responsibility to do so, they're bound themselves. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III on American Family Radio. I've got a book I've been working on for some years now. It's called Sweet Land of Liberty, Reflections of a Patriot Descended from Slaves. Bishop E.W. Jackson. I think it really is an important response to the critical race theory nonsense and all of this racial demagoguery that has risen up like a cult. Tune in to The Awakening, weekdays at noon central on American Family Radio. For American Family Radio, I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. It's one of the great Christian truths that the church is a feasting church, not a fasting church. We feast on Christ's grace and love to sustain us in this world where many often go hungry, like the Macedonian Christians in Paul's day. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us they were poor. They didn't have enough to feast, but Christ was enough. They gave out of their poverty to love others. By His grace, Christ supplies the feast, His love, His life, His body and blood. Christians feast on these by faith. And it strengthens us in our calling to love the Lord and to love our neighbors. So open your Bible. Start stuffing your face. He'll provide all you need. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony. So glad that you have joined us today. Remind you that the website is TonyPerkins.com. You can watch back anything that you've already watched or see anything that you've missed this week. Uh, It is now time, once again, for our weekly Worldview Conversation with FRC's Director of the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Claussen. Three issues that we're going to discuss today, the ill-advised RNC Pride Coalition, our colleague George Barna's poll on millennials, as well as yesterday's Pray for Dobbs prayer event. David, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me, Joseph. Great to be here. Happy Friday. Great to have you with us again. You heard the conversation about the Pride Coalition situation, the National Party taking this step, Texas at least pushing back. Good for Texas. Why is there pressure? Why is there this uh, sense, even within conservative circles, even within Christian circles, even within the church, that we need to be perceived as LGBT affirming? That's a sign of the times, Joseph. Uh, You know, the moral revolution uh, has uh, been in full swing for a couple of decades now. Uh, The same-sex marriage, LGBT, the whole, uh, you know, plethora of issues has just proliferated since the Obergefell decision in 19, or excuse me, in 2015. And increasingly, uh, those of us who hold orthodox uh, views on marriage and sexuality that are rooted in Scripture, we're not just seen as outdated or a little weird or just kind of old school, we're increasingly seen as hate, filled with hate or bigotry and subversive. And increasingly, that's where the, the pulse of our culture is, and that is increasingly coming into the church as well. And within the church, and this is certainly a debate, and we're all aware of that, within the church, how to respond to this. And there are many within the church who feel this need to be perceived at least as as accommodating and and tolerant and kind and kind of have this 
have a PR um, effort, at least to be see, seen as still nice people. There are others within the church who find it much easier to just say, no, this is not something that the Bible uh, allows us to celebrate. We can be kind, but we can't compromise on this. What do you think are the differences between those perspectives from a worldview perspective? From a worldview, it all goes back to your views on Scripture. And so the denominations, Joseph, that have consistently uh, had a high view of Scripture, uh, Southern Baptists, strands of Pentecostalism, uh, PCA, uh, some groups of Methodism, uh, groups that have had a high view of Scripture are the ones that are still pro-life, the ones that are still uh, pro-traditional marriage. Uh, The denominations that in the 1920s into the 1930s (laughs) Uh, that really veered off into theological liberalism. Uh, They were embarrassed of the divinity of Jesus, embarrassed of miracles, embarrassed of the resurrection. Uh, So they pretty much threw out every major tenet of Orthodox Christianity. Well, then when the culture changed, uh, they were the denominations that are now uh, marching in LGBT pride parades. And so if you really boil it down as far as worldview, uh, where you stand on Scripture is the Bible God's Word uh, that is authoritative, that's inerrant, uh, that we should uh, follow it, uh, order our lives according to it, or is the Bible just a collection of stories and some good ideas um, that we can consider, but we're not really bound to it? Uh, so really, your view of Scripture ultimately determines where you wind up on social conservative issues like the marriage issue. Well, David, we also know that uh, God is love, and Jesus has commanded us to love our neighbor. And there are many who would make the argument that the way we love our neighbor is by making them feel loved and making them feel accepted and not judging them and not making them feel bad about the feelings that they have. Is it not true that we show love by affirming our neighbors? Yeah, see, that, that's what the culture would want us to believe, but actually the Bible really deals with the way we think about this. Uh, the kind of the verse I always go to is in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, that really, I think, models a Christian political ethic, which is that uh, we speak the truth in love. And Joseph, it is fundamentally unloving if I lie to you, if I lie to you about the nature of marriage, if I deny, uh, if I lie to you about the way God made you. Um, and so Christians, we have to be clear uh, that it is, in fact, loving uh, to stand for biblical truth. Now, unfortunately, some Christians uh, sometimes who are right on the doctrine can be very unloving in their attitude, and, and that's not Christian. Uh, we need both. We need to speak the truth in love, and I think that's what we see modeled in the life of Jesus, and that's how the New Testament uh, shapes our ethics. And uh, We can apply that to this issue and other issues. I also think it's true, and a, a, a favorite saying of mine that is, that you can't speak the truth in love if you don't believe the truth is loving. And I think the challenge for a lot of people within the church is that they don't believe the truth as described in Scripture actually is loving. Why is it loving to say that you can't do whatever you want to do and that same-sex relationships are actually sinful? Why is that loving? Well, yeah, fundamentally, it's, it's not loving, Joseph. Um, the, the Bible, uh, and obviously Genesis 1, 2, but the whole from cover to cover, uh, you know, the Bible is uh, God's truth. It's, it's his objective standard. And God loves us so much, you know, uh, that he gave us his word. You know, what, what is the Bible? It is his revealed truth. 
And, you know, God is telling us something about himself, about us, about our bodies, about the way he's uh, designed society to function, uh, the way he's designed uh, families to function. And I think ultimately when it comes to issues like this, uh, I always go back to, am I going to trust God, uh, who has proven himself faithful time and time again, or am I going to trust myself? And I think as Christians who have decided to follow Jesus, we need to trust him and that the way he has ordered creation, uh, the way he's ordered the structures and ordinance of the universe, ultimately is what's best for me and best for the rest of society. Yeah. Now, political parties, and we've started this conversation talking about what's going on in the GOP, the nature of political parties, because they always want to win a majority of the, the vote, and, and that pressure inclines them to be uh, thermos, therm thermometers rather than thermostats, being that they just want to move where the temperature is so they can be popular rather than necessarily trying to change the temperature. And I think one reason the GOP feels this pressure uh, to be seen, at least some people within the GOP might feel this pressure, is because they see what polling is doing. They see public opinion mm. has shifted on these on LGBT issues in a variety of ways. And our colleague George Barna uh, did a poll this week, and he helped us see in some ways how public opinion has changed. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what his, uh, his poll found and how that's relevant to this conversation. Yeah, George Barna's poll's incredibly significant. But real quick, I'll just add, Joseph, you know, what the RNC is doing with the Pride Coalition, I think's uh, not just wrong as far as conservatism, it's actually bad politics. Uh, George Barna, uh, another poll he did showed that 99% uh, of sage cons voted in the last election. These are spiritually active, governance-engaged Christians. 99% of them showed out to vote last time. 97% of them voted for President Trump. That's 21 million votes. And so it's actually not just bad when it comes to conservatism, it's bad politics uh, to kind of stick it to even the millions of evangelical Christians that have voted Republican because of the party's position on abortion and marriage. Uh, but specifically the poll you just mentioned, Joseph, that's a poll that George Barna did, a, a ma massive nationwide survey on millennials. And uh, he talked, he was on a program yesterday with Tony, and I'd recommend everyone go listen to that. You can find it at frc.org slash worldview. Uh, but essentially what he found is that the millennial generation, of which I'm a part, uh, fundamentally is a confused, uh, discouraged uh, generation that's afraid. Only 29% uh, of millennials are very satisfied with their lives. And he, he talks about some their views on politics and their views on religion. But increasingly, we're finding that the, my generation, the millennial generation, uh, is less connected to church. It reads the Bible less, and it feels uh, further away from God uh, than any other generation that's come before it. And how do we also see that reflected in their stances on LGBT issues? How are they different than the generations before them? Yeah, so George's poll shows, uh, in, in his poll, I see the number 30, I saw 39% uh, in the study. Uh, up to 39%, according to the study, identifies in some way as LGBTQ. Uh, that's astounding. That's three times higher uh, than any other generation that's come before it. And so At I least. think that's a significant finding, and we can get into maybe why that is, but that, that's the main takeaway as far as the social issues of this poll. And we have to think about what, I mean, 39% is a ridiculous number. That's basically four out of 10 people. And historically, um, when we were talking about same-sex marriage and the homosexuality issue, somewhere between two and 5% of the public uh, with the trans issue historically, that's like 
one-tenth of one percent, perhaps you combine those things and the very high end, you're talking about five percent. Now we're talking about 39 percent. Is that because something has happened, you know, biologically? Is this global warming or are we are, are we defining LGBT differently or is this a social contagion? Uh, well, I think the last thing you said, Joseph, is what the study bears out is that it's um, George has asked, you know, where where is this generation looking uh, for guidance? Where, where are they being shaped? Where are they being discipled? Uh, and increasingly, they're looking less and less to their parents. They're looking less and less to their church, and they're looking to the media. Uh, this generation is more influenced by the media, by Hollywood, uh, than any other generation that's gone before it. Uh, this generation is also very influenced by social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. And so this generation is constantly comparing itself and not wanting to be seen as outdated or bigoted. And so because you have so much culture, cultural pressure, culture uh, pressure from big business, culture from pressure from Hollywood uh, to embrace the whole LGBT revolution, it's uh, increasingly seen as popular or chic to uh, identify as an alternative lifestyle. And I think you you touched on the the influences over young people's lives and I think I've said this before but it's worth repeating that if a child goes to a through a conventional educational calendar kindergarten through 12th grade they will spend 16,000 hours in that classroom but in addition to those 16,000 hours in a classroom now since 2007 when the iPhone came out they'll spend an additional 16,000 hours consuming media whether that's increasingly on their phone or television or on their tablet or their computer so that's 32,000 hours of ideas being poured into people that are not coming from their parents that seems to be having an impact doesn't it oh it's having a massive impact um all that time on the screens all that time with your peers and that's why joseph uh, i don't think we can state it enough uh why it's so important for christian parents to use all those extra hours that they do have to invest in their children. Uh, George Barn has showed that a worldview begins to develop between 15 and 18 months and is crystallized by the age of 13. Now, it doesn't mean your worldview can't change after 13, but pretty much the, the way you view the world, the lens through which you see things, uh, when you're 13, that's how uh, you're going to, it'll change a little bit and maybe uh, crystallize a little bit more, but uh, fundamentally, that'll be the orientation you have towards life for the rest of your life. And so, my goodness, how important it is for parents to invest. Um, you, you can't just drop your kid off at youth group on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and think that that's going to be enough. A church can certainly uh, come alongside parents, and, and church should. Uh, youth pastors have a great role to play. Uh, the pastors need, have a role to play as well. Uh, but you cannot uh, delegate the discipling of your children. And so I think that this poll really underlies that. And significantly, parents cannot just be passive about those 32,000 hours, no. the hours that you're spending in a classroom. Parents need to know what that classroom is like, what ideas are being taught. They need to be stewards of the 16,000 hours that left to their own devices. Kids will just spend consuming media from who knows where. And if, and if we're just passive about what's happening in that time, it inevitably influences the minds of our children, what they think, what they do, and 
ultimately who they become as people. Um, this is not, it is not accidental. It might feel accidental, but it is not accidental, these outcomes for our kids. The fact that we've gone from, you know, 2% of the population identifying as LGBT to 39% of the population uh, that quickly, uh, that was not a, a random act for sure. David, what ideas should parents be teaching their children so that they can navigate this environment without being affected by it? Yeah, great question. And that's one of the reasons FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview exists. We want to provide resources to come alongside parents and churches that are doing this work of discipleship. And, and the months or weeks and months and going into next year, we'll be having even more resources. But one simple suggestion that you can begin even tonight is uh, dinner, ta dinner time, uh, leading your family in family devotions, uh, reading the Bible, uh, singing a song or two around the dinner table or right before bedtime, praying with your children. Uh, these fundamental spiritual disciplines uh, can actually have a major uh, role in that discipling of that child. David, final question. We have about a minute left, but tell us about Pray for Dobbs. What can people be doing as we get ready for the Dobbs case and pray that Roe is overturned? Yeah, the Dobbs case, uh, oral arguments are December 1st. This is the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade. FRC was a part of a group last night uh, that 15,000 people joined praying for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Uh, November uh, 28th, we're having an event uh, that you can learn about at PrayTogetherForLife.com uh, where we're going to be bringing pastors and people together in Mississippi where the case originates from to cry out to the Lord uh, and to pray that this indeed is the case that sees Roe v. Wade once and for all consigned to the dustbin of history. PrayTogetherForLife.com. It's PrayTogetherForLife.com. You can also text TOGETHER to 67742, get information about that event that will happen uh, at 6.30 on December 2nd. Uh, 7 p.m. Central Time is when the broadcast begins on December 2nd. We hope that you will join us. Pray together for life. David Clausen, as always, really appreciate your time with us as well as your wisdom. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Joseph. And friends, that's what we have for the program today. Please do be in prayer for the Dobbs case. December 1st, oral arguments are going to take place. This is a really, really important day. Also be in prayer for our good friend, Baronelle Stutzman. We are thankful for the relief that she has found, but the case, the cause moves forward. We'll be with you next time. Look forward to it here on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.